Editor Laura Johnston wondered last week whether Fran DeWine was making coronavirus masks, and on Saturday she got her answer. More on that in a moment. Welcome to another episode of This Week in the CLE, the weekday podcast discussion about the coronavirus. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn on the wire with Laura, as well as editors Jane Cahoon and Chris Warnowski. I hope you all had a chance to decompress a bit over the weekend, especially when the weather was so perfect on Saturday. I did. It was gorgeous. I mean, that's all you can ask for in a spring day. And I got all my mulch done. So I felt good about it. Chris, you get out. Yeah, I actually just bought a new bike and decided, uh, it, you know, since the streets are empty, I'm just going to ride right down. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and Jane, you had the weekend duty, so you and I were talking all weekend. Yeah, but I did get out, but I got nothing accomplished. All right. Well, I'm glad you got out. Let's begin. How far has the coronavirus spread in Ohio? For all the things that Ohio leaders have done right in this crisis, one of the state's biggest failings has been testing. Because of a limited supply of tests, we still have no idea how many people have had COVID-19 and how many people have it now. We get daily numbers, but those are just for people who were tested. We know that most people who get infected have a few bad days and recovered without ever seeing a doctor. But on Saturday, Jane Cahoon, we heard news of a plan to find out once and for all how deeply this virus is spread. Yes, Dr. Amy Acton, the state's health director, said at the governor's briefing on Saturday that they're going to start doing random sampling of Ohio's population for the coronavirus. They're going to do this with a team of amateur epidemiologists, starting with, I guess, a random sample of 100 asymptomatic people. And she said that's going to give them a better handle of who's out there and what's going on in the general population. Yeah, I mean, we desperately need this. She almost said it in passing in the briefing that she had this plan. So Cleveland.com reporter Laura Hancock, who had already asked her question, got back in line to ask her to clarify, (laughs) at least on the timing. Acton did clarify, but we still don't know the timing, right? Right. She she didn't have the timetable on, you know, when they would start or when they would finish. My read on this, though, is that they're going to test people to see if they currently have the virus. That's that would be helpful uh, as they've done that in other countries. They found that anywhere from a third to half seem asymptomatic. But even more helpful would be a test to see if people had been infected and recovered to know how widespread it is. The FDA recently approved an antibody test to do that. But that's not what Acton was talking about, right? She just, this is the standard, do you have it now? Correct, correct. Um, Although I do believe she has said that they hope to eventually get access to these antibody tests. And again, though, no timetable on that. Yeah, it's all this eventual stuff that's really been a bit of a problem. Rich Exner has done really good work to list what we know And more importantly, what we don't know. And man, the what we don't know is much deeper than what we know. Check it out on Cleveland.com. It's this week in the CLE. Is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine a stronger leader than President Donald Trump? It's a subjective question, but the more we see of this pandemic, the more I'd argue the answer is yes. While Trump was still downplaying the threat of the virus, DeWine was shutting down Ohio to protect us. When Trump talked about reopening the country by Easter, DeWine was standing firm, saying he would follow the science. And then Jane Cahoon, we saw yet another example of the difference on Friday night and Saturday, and it had everything to do with coronavirus masks. Yes, this just couldn't have been a bigger contrast. DeWine, in his Saturday briefing, 
in his usual calm, measured tone, displayed some masks that his wife, Fran, had sewn and said that he was going to take the new recommendation of the CDC and whenever he goes out in public, he'll be wearing one of these homemade face coverings. He said, you know, this is the socially acceptable, polite thing to do. And when people see you wearing a mask, they know you're trying to protect them from your germs. Well, the night before, when when Trump announced this CDC recommendation, he basically said, well, I, you know, I'm not going to do it myself. I, I can't picture myself wearing one of these masks behind my big, beautiful, resolute desk in the Oval Office. And, you know, I just don't see it for myself. And, you know, hey, it's a, it's a recommendation, okay? I was thinking over the weekend that I don't know of any previous president who have done what Trump did. Every other president I could think of would have done what DeWine did. They would have appeared before the camera in a mask, set the example. Think about it. Obama, both Bushes, Clinton, Carter. One of the key roles of the president is supposed to be leading by example. Does anyone think there are people out there who will refuse to wear masks now because of what Trump said? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I Go ahead, like, Chris Wernowski. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who are probably going to be very stubborn about I mean, you've already seen people who have been stubborn about stay-at-home orders and uh, people who have been stubborn about light requests not to hoard things like toilet paper and food. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't foresee this being any different than anything else that we've seen so far. But I wonder what the percentage is of the population that looks up and says, well, the president says he's not going to wear one. So I'm not. Is it 1%, 10%? What are we talking about? This is Laura Johnson. Um, oh. I wore my mask to Target uh, yesterday, and I think I was the only person I saw, aside from the checkout clerk, who was wearing one. Even the guys stocking the shelves were mask-free. So I don't know how pervasive this is going to end up being. It's interesting, because I'm hearing of some like chain restaurants and things that aren't allowing their employees to wear them because of the way it looks. And 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 you hear you you hear from other like like marginalized communities who think like well, it's impossible for me to wear a mask walking down the street because the cops think I'm committing a crime. I mean, there's just like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I mean, legitimate questions. I mean, there were states that were trying to ban wearing masks because of Antifa after Charlottesville. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, there's such a again. I mean, we talk we come back to this idea of stigma time and time again, and a mask. There's social questions around it that I just don't think have been answered yet. But you know, I, you're right. I I went to visit my uh, mom on Friday night, and my, as my wife and I were getting out of the car, we were putting on our mask, and it, it just felt like people. Normally, you do this, people are going to think you're going in to rob the place. <laughs> Did it surprise anybody that not 24 hours after Trump made his declaration in the face of his own administration's recommendation that the wine was standing up? to to say i'm doing this i mean does anybody interpret that as dewine making a statement subtly about the president or do you think it's just dewine wanting ohioans to be safe i don't think he's making a statement i'm surprised he didn't say he was aligned with the president while holding up his mask <laughs> yeah but he keeps saying he's aligned even though he's right. doing things that aren't aligned and i just i wondered whether he did it because he saw what trump did and was disgusted by it he never has an in-your-face approach. I mean, he just never comes off that way. But the end result is that, as I said, it, you, there just couldn't have been a bigger contrast here.
The mask thing has changed rapidly from last week this time. Laura, you made a couple of hand-sewn masks last week. I ended up making nine over the weekend for family members. Jane and Chris, have you obtained masks? Are you going to wear them? Well, yes, I have. I have a homemade one. Um, I've already worn a mask out in public. And unlike Laura, I have, um, I saw a lot of people wearing them like in the grocery store. You're on the east side, though. We know that the east siders are generally smarter more, than the more enlightened. How about you, Chris? You're going to wear a mask? My girlfriend's parents actually had their, I guess they would be considered immunocompromised. And so they had a bunch of disposable masks there uh, at their house. And we early on, we grabbed them because we knew we were going to be doing the shopping and stuff for them. So we have some of those. Uh, and then we are, I, we're getting some hand-sewn masks from some coworkers. It was my girlfriend. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to wear them. Good. It's the right thing to do, I think. I feel like it's ridiculous that we waited this long and we're still yeah. kind of weirdly debating about it. So it's, it's as, as I heard somebody on a podcast say the other day, why the hell is the, the harm in doing it? Like right. there's, there seems to be more potential harm in not doing it. So, you know, are we going to look goofy for you know, as a society for six months, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but, but maybe you know, we'll be I, safe. Yeah. Maybe we'll all live. Yeah. We won't get sick and die. All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Is the coronavirus going to cancel summer? We had a couple of ominous moments last week about summer. First, Ohio governor, Mike DeWine and extending his stay at home order until May said he was closing pools and summer camps. And Laura Johnston immediately said, that's odd. They don't open till well after May 1st. Then Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson said he was canceling all summer activities. Because people were so alarmed by this, both DeWine and Jackson later clarified their positions to say they'll deal with summer if they see the need. But I also saw on social, if it's to be believed, that the head of the Cleveland Clinic was predicting the peak of this thing won't happen till June and won't wind down until the end of July, which nobody has said. What do we think? Or is is there information that public officials are seeing out there that they're not sharing with the rest of us that might explain why they're thinking about summer? Laura Johnston, what do you think? My thought right now is that they want to prepare us for the worst so that if they have to cancel summer, we won't start a riot or something. And if we do get to jump in the pool in July, we'll be eternally grateful because none of the modeling we've seen shows a spike in the summer. This morning, I checked the University of Washington projection, and it's now actually predicting a peak on April 8th. That is two days away, just in Ohio specifically, and that we're going to have 544 deaths total. So a lot lower than we were expecting. We'll have to check more on that to find out what they're thinking. But It's fascinating, though, because on the one hand, we have the head of the Cleveland Clinic predicting it's months away. And this study, which they've revealed their cards, unlike the clinic in OSU, which has a different projection, uh, is saying in two days we'll be on the downslope. That's pretty amazing. It's crazy that it's so different, but you know, these models have been changing all the time and they're partly changing because of our behavior. So the better we do at social distancing, the lower the curve goes, but also you could argue the longer a curve goes, but social distancing is going to have to end at some point. Well, but let, let's think if all of a sudden all these officials do have information that they haven't shared because they think we're too stupid to understand it, that says this goes through summer. I don't know. I just don't see that happening. I, I I just don't see America locking themselves up in their homes through July. So so here's the question. We've been told that social distancing, working home and all of what we're doing is the gold standard of slowing this virus. 
developed out of the Spanish flu more than a century ago. Is there another way that might be just as effective if we spent the next month ramping up production of all the N95 masks and hand sanitizers? Could workplaces be made safe? I mean, you really can't have America go into a deep freeze for six months. People will starve. Chris Ranowski, what do you think? I mean, this is almost like a great philosophical question that we're going to have to address as as people, because on one hand, what you're suggesting, which is is sending a bunch of people out to work is, you know, I mean, it could lead to people dying. And and the other alternative is, is if we don't send people out to work and and we're still sitting in our homes in four months. Uh, we could be starving to death. So, Although, let me, but let me stop because that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm asking here. I'm not asking. I'm not pulling the Trump thing. Let's just send people back. I'm saying if we took our best minds, look, we're we're all operating on a strategy that was developed in 1918, and science and technology is far more developed. Should could there be a national conversation by smart people? To say, you know what, there's multiple paths to slowing this virus and keeping people safe. There's not just one solution. I I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't feel like we've had that conversation. We all accepted we're going to be locked up through April. But I don't think people have accepted we're going to be locked up through July. And all I'm asking here is, should there be a conversation with safety of people paramount? You don't want anybody else to die or any more people that have died than is the 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 minimum i guess but but we didn't did we well and and i think i think we should have that conversation but again i think this we've talked about this on the podcast before and it's it's a contrast in leadership you know it, it's if you look at how our governor is is approaching this as being a person who is brave enough to be seen in public wearing a mask or whatever you know, that's that's leadership. And and I think, you know, on a national level, I think this is I think it's been politicized to the point that we haven't had a, a single reasonable conversation in the public sphere about how we're going to approach this and how we're going to rescue our economy and how we're going to, you know, do everything that we need to do to make sure that people are fed and taken care of and healthy and all of those things. So, you know, exactly. Knock on wood. I hope we have that conversation at some point, but it feels like you know, we started our response to this behind the eight ball and we keep getting further and further behind it because it, this is, you know, for all intents and purposes, I mean, every, every national briefing is turned into a campaign rally and, and there's a complete lack of seriousness, I think, to a lot of, of what's going on in the federal government. And, and it's, it has the potential to be dangerous and, and really, but, but it's not just federal. I mean, I mean, all of our lockdowns are being done by governors who are all acting on the advice of the public health officials who we know are fallible because of the other bad advice about masks. Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, do you think that people will continue to follow these stay at home instructions through the summer? Boy, there's got to be a breaking point on that. I mean, I was just wondering, though, like by then, will will enough people have had this and recovered or maybe had mild cases or not even, you know, and maybe we'll have the antibody test. And so there'll, there'll be enough people who uh, can go back into the workforce. You know, I don't know. I was talking about this uh, with someone recently that if they had the antibody test, uh, we could find out if we've had it and already gotten it over with. Right. But 
I feel like this might, you know, and then so what, so what, what does that it, mean? What does that mean then? You get a tattoo on your arm that says well, you're, you're safe like, to be outside. Like, okay, you've had it, so you can go to the pool. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what the answer is, but you're not going to create a two tier society when like the people who had it can go do whatever they want and the other people can't. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be something we're going to have to keep looking into, but I promise if you let me out of my house, I will wear my mask to the pool. I'm just, it's distressing, and Chris kind of got into it. It's distressing that we have not had this conversation because it's become so politicized. And and if this does stretch out, I think it's clear we will be having the conversation. And just remember, you heard it here first. It's this week in the CLE. Why is the coronavirus so much worse in Michigan than it is in Ohio? This has been a story that becomes number one on our website each time we update it. The latest version was approaching 300,000 views last time I looked. I think it's part curiosity, part mystery. Laura Johnston, break it down. How many cases in each state and how many deaths? Okay, uh, the latest numbers are from Sunday. Ohio, which has 11.7 million residents, reported 4,043 positive coronavirus tests, 119 deaths. Michigan, which has 10 million residents, reported 15,718 cases and 617 deaths. The original reason offered for this back in the early days of the disparity was that Michigan was doing more testing. That turned out to be hooey, right? Yeah. From what I've read, this is the explanation that Michigan officials are giving to reporters, but it's never made any sense to me. According to the independent site covidtracking.com, Ohio has given 43,756 tests. Michigan has given 45,748 tests. So Michigan slightly higher, about 2,000, but not a big difference. And you can't blame Michigan for being slow on shutting down like some of the states that we've seen with uh, Republican governors. They were in lockstep with Ohio or maybe a day behind. I do like the election explanation as the reason for the difference, but I also understand the airport explanation. Could you break down each of those? Sure. My, uh, Michigan had its in-person presidential primary election on March 10th, which is the same day it had its first two confirmed cases of coronavirus, which means it had a lot of big rallies leading up to it, lots of people mixing together whereas Ohio canceled its in-person primary on March 17th. Michigan and Ohio were pretty much lockstep in cases until about March 19th when Michigan started shooting ahead. Since the coronavirus can take up to two weeks for symptoms to appear, this seems plausible. The other explanation is that Detroit, which I'd like to point out is huge, its metro area has about 4.3 million people, twice as much as any metro area in Ohio, was one of 11 international airports in the United States where travelers from China were screened soon after the virus appeared in Wuhan. We didn't have that issue in Cleveland, obviously, with, with our airport. Yeah, it's but one of that... the benefits of losing our hub is we <laughs> kept out the coronavirus. Way but to go, United. If that were the actual issue, you think Michigan would have had cases earlier than Ohio because we're talking late, late uh, January, early February for that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a fascinating one, and clearly people are interested. We'll continue to track it probably once or twice a week. It's this week in the CLE. Which Cuyahoga County judge is failing to help clear the jail during the coronavirus crisis? Chris Warnowski, you oversaw the reporting on the emergency work 
done to reduce the jail population from whatever it was, 1900 to like 1100 in three weeks to stave off an outbreak of the coronavirus. Judges, prosecutors and others dove in and released as many minor offenders as they could. But one judge appeared to do nothing. Yeah, we had uh, one Cuyahoga County uh, Common Pleas judge, John Satua. According to Corey Shaver's reporting, only uh, released two inmates from his docket. He had 56 people in the jail, and it is now at a whopping 54, according to his last reporting. So, you know, it's it's interesting to see this all come together so quickly after you know, we have we have written a lot about jail reform and a lot about bail reform, and and the jail had just had numerous problems over the years, and and including last year when we had so many, or the past two years, and so many people passed away in the jail, and then to see all of the prosecutors and the judges come together and get you know nine hundred people out of the jail within the span of a couple of weeks is pretty staggering. But yeah, we had one judge who just I, I apparently didn't see it as a huge priority. He he did say that he had some cases that were high-level felonies and violent crimes with victims, but that wasn't the case for for everyone that he had on his docket who was in the jail. And that's always the claim, right? That's I mean, we've been talking about this forever, and that's the judge always falls back. Well, I have a much more serious docket than my colleagues. Will will the pressure of Corey's story outing him as the one outlier? get him to to get it in gear or is or is it just the judges have their say and if he doesn't want to release people he doesn't have to release people i think it's that i you know you you hope to, that you know judges will err on the side of of public safety i mean we did have people test positive in the jail last week so it's become a heightened concern i think among the people in the county if they're to be believed um they have they have cordoned off enough space in the jail to quarantine people now that it's, you know, 900 people fewer in there. But, you know, what do they do with the guards, though? I mean, in the cases that you're mentioning, weren't a bunch of guards also exposed? Yeah, they send the guards home on quarantine uh, and, you know, make them sit at home for (laughs) for two weeks and, you know, with the hopes that they don't get it. And and again, that's you know, that's sort of the unspoken part of this is that, you know, we talk about the inmates, but there's a lot of people working in the jail, too, that, that you know, when you have a high concentrated population like this, you put them at risk as well. Yeah, it must be scary to be a guard. It's like being a nurse or a doctor, knowing that every day you go in while most people are sitting at home away from the virus. Yeah. These people, every day they go to work, they risk getting really, really sick. It's this week in the CLE. Which Northeast Ohio counties are serving the taxpayers by mapping coronavirus cases? This is our transparency issue. More and more people are getting infected by the coronavirus. County health boards know where they are, where they live. And for the most part, those health boards have refused to say. It makes no sense because they're exhorting us to be careful to avoid the virus, but then they refuse to give us key information that might help us do that. Cuyahoga's health board was the first to see the light, largely because We put the brightest light on them we could find and blasted their secrecy. Now we have another. Laura Johnston, which county is it? It's Medina County. On Saturday, the county released case data by zip code, like Cuyahoga County. And unlike Summit, they actually color-coded the areas to show who had how many cases. 
And we got another tiny, tiny step forward in Summit County, right? Originally, Summit refused to provide anything. Then, under pressure, they provided a zip code map without numbers, which was pretty much useless because it pretty much was the entire county. But Summit says it does plan to enter the Age of Enlightenment. Yeah, apparently when they hit this magic number of 300 cases, they'll give the numbers with the zip code. As of Friday, they had 153 cases, so we will see. Jane Cahoon, we asked Dr. Amy Acton's folks at the State Health Department whether they would advise counties to release zip code maps. Not only did they decline, but Acton actually has espoused the same logic that Summit County is using, that until you have a certain number of cases, releasing zip code maps serves to identify them, which I, I'm baffled by. Yeah, this was kind of disappointing. She was asked about this at a recent briefing, and she said that the health department is working with all the local health departments with the goal of helping them determine what they could and couldn't release. But then she fell back again on this privacy argument, saying that you release this kind of information in, in smaller counties and it could personally identify people or identify people who died before there was a chance to have a funeral. And she also uh, used the argument again about just the figures being misleading because it only reflects people who were tested. But we know that about all of this data. So yeah, anyway. But- and people really want to know. I mean, they, 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 yeah. these are servants of the public and the public wants to know. I, I still, the math on this doesn't work. I, I, we're going to do a story on it because I, I want a mathematician to explain it. If I have a zip code with 50,000 <laughs> people in it, whether I say there's one person with the virus or 300, how does that identify them if it's fewer? I, I mean, I'm just not getting it. Is this me? Am I just not getting some basic math fundamental here? For once, Chris, I don't think it's you. Um, it, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I mean, Amy Acton actually said, well, you know, people can choose to come forward and tell their stories and so forth. But, you know, this just doesn't satisfy the many frustrated readers we've heard from who really want this information, as you said. Okay, well. hopefully we'll get a story that explains this once and for all. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. So ends the podcast. Thanks to Jane, Lauren, Chris, and thank you for listening. We'll return Tuesday with another conversation on This Week in the CLE. 